Hey everyone. So the usual show is actually a live show that's broadcast on Discord and I have my chat that you can see if you're watching the video. This time, for some technical reason that I haven't quite figured out yet, the show wasn't going out live. So this is basically just me talking uh, into the microphone. And so it's a little bit different and it's a shorter episode than usual. But I hope that now next week we'll be back onto it. You'll hear that I actually catch on to this uh, some way throughout the episode. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. It might be a bit more straightforward and less uh, conversational, but I hope it's educational. And next week we'll be back to our normal format. Okay, enjoy. We have to talk about consciousness. Our life is actually a midpoint between the two deaths. To use the sexual energy in order to achieve enlightenment. The three-dimensional spiral shape encoded in our DNA, in our biology. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Discomfort Zone podcast. After quite a long time of uh, missing a few episodes and being away, uh, various things going on, but uh, now I am glad to say I'm back and uh, yeah, finally with a, a brand new episode here for you. Now I have to admit that I had some uh, technical difficulties setting up this time as, uh, as per usual, but first time back and I couldn't quite get to it before. So yeah, I hope everything is running smoothly. Uh, is there anyone in chat? I can't actually see. Um, so yeah, I hope you can hear me okay if there's anyone there, but regardless, uh, let's get started. Let's, uh, let's do this finally. So uh, this week we're actually jumping right back into Gerald Clark because I'm back uh, home, I have the book, and uh, it's actually a, an interesting episode. So uh, after missing quite a few, I'm glad to say that I hope we can get back on track uh, today. So uh, we didn't really start uh, going into his book as much. We sort of had an opening introduction. Uh, if you missed that episode, you can listen to the uh, previous recordings. Um, and so this time we're actually going to start um, delving into what Gerald Clark is actually bringing to the table and why I chose him uh, over other people. Now, the whole beginning of his book, as I mentioned, is um, sort of dealing with the whole fact of Sitchin's theories and the sort of history of the Anunnaki and um, Gerald Clark himself went through quite an, uh, a personal journey with this whole um, question of ancient civilizations and really uh, took the time, as it were, to pursue it himself and to travel to all of these um, archaeological digging sites and to experience these ancient buildings himself being there and uh, really wanted to take the time to um, sort of... Um, experience for himself, see the evidence himself, get all of the verification firsthand um, before he could really take it seriously. And so I think that's also something to admire and appreciate that uh, unlike me who's really only read uh, the books and uh, uh, sort of listened to the other people who've done it uh, a much cheaper way, 
to do it. But uh, Gerald Clark really took the time and for years um, visited many ancient and uh, spiritually important um, sites on Earth and uh, really took the time to investigate personally and to see what it's all about. And so with his conclusions, he really... Uh, came to agree with Sitchin's interpretations and really um, took that as a stepping stone, or I should say as the first step into this whole world of ancient civilizations. But from there, Gerald Clark, who came nearly, I don't know, uh, 30 or 40 years after the first publication of Sitchin's uh, books, um, really brought a lot of very uh, advanced and modern technologies to the table. And so being a, a, an Air Force pilot and indeed um, an electrical engineer by, um, by profession um, before he became a, a structural um, integration uh, therapist or masseuse, um, he really had a lot of this um, scientific, physically based knowledge to couple and to pair with a lot of Sitchin's rather um, dry but investigative and more research-based uh, sort of uh, books and theories. And so Sitchin, as we've mentioned many times, never went uh, too much into the detail of the Anunnaki's technology, how it worked, how it relates to where we are today. And um, when he talks about rockets or flying spaceships or, or whatever it is, he talks about it very, very much um, from a, a sort of an objective point of view as relaying what's been told. And so um, following all of this, really, we come to a point where Gerald Clark can start shedding some light onto this whole idea and really start uh, giving a new perspective. So that's what I want to delve into uh, today. And so being an electrical engineer and one of his um, main focuses, he also worked for uh, in the private sector, um, was in communications and sort of uh, electromagnetic spectrum communications. Um, a lot of the things that we know today as being, uh, you know, uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Um, how do you send information across these different um, sort of energies and frequencies in the most, uh, you know, the most efficient way and the way to pack uh, the most amount of data. And so this was sort of one of the things that he really um, was doing and researching in his, in his life. And so he started to think about uh, this in relation to the Anunnaki. And when he was thinking about this, he decided, he, he sort of was puzzled by this idea of how the Anunnaki could communicate with the with the slave force with the human beings whom they were uh, developing as it were so once uh, as we've talked about once enki came with this idea of designing a new uh, beast a new manual sort of uh, uh, animal that will that will be able to take part of the load from the ejiji uh, one of the questions that must have arisen was how do we make it um, intelligent enough to be able to understand the complex commands that we want to give it and to be able to really understand um, what we want it to do and to follow through, but at the same time to avoid the problem that must have happened with the Ijiji where because of their intelligence they sort of got to the point where they decided they can't take any more and they uh, um, rebelled and formed a, a mutiny in the demand of, of better sort of... Uh, um, 
work and conditions. And so that was the thin line that they had to tread of trying to develop a being that would be clever enough to follow through, but not too clever that it would rebel. And one of the things, uh, having experienced this rebellion, as Gerald Clark points out, must have been on the minds of the Anunnaki, was the fact that um, how would you communicate these commands to the workforce? How would you uh, make sure that um, they're all in line, that they're all in check, that they're not causing some kind of rebellion? And in order to do this, he suggests that they would have used uh, very advanced technologies to what we have today. But he was um, considering how it would be possible to communicate uh, commands and messages to miners who were deep underground, um, and whether it's group commands to the whole of them or specific commands to one individual. And so within this subject of trying to uh, um, theorize about what they might have used, Gerald Clark mentions um, extreme low frequencies and using extreme low frequencies both as sort of uh, modular waves to carry data and to carry uh, information and commands in this case and also um, actually using the low frequencies themselves in order to convey some kind of message. And so we'll get into that a bit more. These are subjects that we've touched upon previously in various episodes. And in this episode, we're going to build on all of that and try to bring it all together. So um, for those who, who don't know and who haven't heard, extreme low frequencies, frequencies under 20 hertz, more or less, um, are, are special frequencies in a number of ways. And the first thing that Gerald Clark really talks about is the fact that the Earth's resonant uh, frequency um, the, the frequency with which at which the Earth resonates is uh, about 7.6 or 8 um, hertz. And so under 10 hertz is the sort of natural frequency of the Earth. Now, we've spoken about different uh, levels of consciousness, different states of consciousness that humans can experience. And these um, different states of consciousnesses relate, different, sorry, different states of consciousness relate to different frequencies that can be found in the brain. And so as people enter different states, they actually uh, resonate, their brain uh, emanates a different frequency. And so these are the alpha, beta, uh, gamma, and theta um, states of consciousness, which I think are beta, alpha, gamma, theta, if I'm not mistaken. And um, they more or less relate, uh, this is sort of very vague and, and, and um, categorical to a fault, but in order for us to sort of understand and grasp it, they're generally categorized as the um, beta state being the state where we are sort of uh, in between sleep and awakeness. And so alpha state is the state where we're more awake. And then the theta state is the state of hallucinations and spiritual experiences and that sort of, uh, um, those sort of experiences. And then the uh, delta state is the deep uh, sleep state or the, uh, the yogi state, as it were. Sorry, sorry, no, no let me can correct that. Um, the alpha state is the state of uh, meditation and relaxation and the beta state is the state of alert consciousness. So the state that we're usually at when we're awake is the beta state. And that's the level that we're sort of aware of what's happening and thinking, problem solving, etc., etc. Then the relaxed state where let's say even if we're just sitting rather with our eyes closed or in general our brain is not working in that same frantic way but it's much more relaxed and slowed down, maybe slightly um, daydreaming, that's the alpha state. 
and then uh, alpha waves and then with uh, theta is in between sleep and uh, sort of hallucinatory states and that whole um, state between deep sleep and being awake and then the delta state is the deep sleep so those four categories more or less uh, correspond to different frequencies that the brain uh, emits at during that time so um what basically Gerald Clark postulates, and this is something that's actually been been shown uh, in a few cases, is that part of the um, activation of ELF, of extreme low frequencies, part of this um, sort of pulsation, can actually trigger a response in the human brain. And this is something that he claims was not lost on the Anunnaki, and in fact was part of the uh, development and understanding of the uh, human body and human organism. And the way that it functions, the way that it's built together, is indeed um, inclusive of this energy body. And this energy body reacts to uh, all sorts of energy patterns, be they physical, or indeed in terms of energy waves, such as extreme low frequencies. So uh, with time, and we'll get into this specifically more at the end of the episode, but with time, if the brain is exposed to a certain frequency, a certain low frequency, that falls within the brain's different states um, of consciousness, so the different frequencies that the brain can exhibit. Obviously, not if it's too high or, or too low. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, if there is an extreme low frequency at that range, then it can induce a state of consciousness in the human brain. And so that's a, that's a, a, a thought that I'd like for us to have in our head and to think about as we uh, move forward in, these, uh, in the episode. So the second type, this is a, that's a, a more direct um, experience and direct uh, result of the extreme low frequency hitting the brain. It's basically a one-to-one -one interaction. The brain wave, um, the frequency, the electromagnetic wave hits the brain, and that's what's impacting in a certain way. But there's another method, another technology that can be used, and this is what's called a sort of um, modular information or carrier waves. And this is what was used initially in radio. And so a quick reminder, I think we've spoken about it, but for those who don't know um, how a radio works, you basically have a carrier signal, and that's the signal, the frequency that you're broadcasting at um, from the antenna and that you're receiving at from the radio. And so that's the FM and uh, uh, AM um, distinction. Um, each one of those numbers um, refers to a different uh, frequency that you are tuning into. And then what happens is that on top of that frequency, which is a constant uh, wave which is being generated, you can actually sort of uh, mix and place another wave, uh, electromagnetic wave, on top of it. And so this other audio wave is your recording or whatever it is that you're broadcasting. And so when I'm speaking into this microphone, although this is a bit different because of the internet, but let's say this was radio, my voice would be uh, recorded as a digital, as a electri uh, electric uh, wave, and that would be placed, as it were, mixed into on top of the uh, carrier wave and broadcast out. And at the other end, there is inside the radio, 
sort of the, the, the pieces that receive this uh, signal and separate the carrier wave because that's the constant wave that they can recognize. So it's sort of like a filter. And as you filter out the carrier wave, you're left just with the information that was in that sound wave to begin with. And so that's basically how radio works. Over, a slight oversimplification, but more or less the idea. And it's very similar to a lot of these other technologies as well that are using carrier waves in order to broadcast something that then can filter out uh, that wave and le leave you with just um, the information that you want to transmit. So what does that have to do with us and with the brain? Well, um, the idea is that, sorry, I'm just trying to, I hope you can't hear um, the, the sounds my computer seems to be making, but uh, anyway, I'll try and shut it off. But um, all of this has to do with another kind of effect that uh, sound waves and indeed uh, electromagnetic waves can have on the brain. And that is, um, you can actually have uh, two different signals being broadcast at the same time. And so we've actually mentioned this before in another episode, and we've spoken about it quite a bit, so I won't go over it too much. But this is what's known as binaural beats. And binaural beats works with exactly what we've been talking about until now, except for one difference where instead of generating um, the frequency in some way, you use two different frequencies, and the difference, the ratio, the difference between those two frequencies is uh, um, in itself a third frequency that's created. So let's say one frequency is at 1 hertz and one frequency is at 2 hertz. The difference between those is 1 hertz. And so the brain has this uh, ability or design that when it receives these two frequencies that are very close to each other, sort of close enough, it won't hear them as two separate frequencies but actually pick up on the difference between them as a third frequency. And so again, if that third frequency is within that extreme low frequency range that the brain states can be induced at, then you can use this uh, binaural beat uh, technology in order to induce a certain state of consciousness. And this is very um, well known nowadays. It became very famous as sort of a pastime and binaural beats to induce uh, studying or to induce relaxation or meditation or deep sleep. All of those relate to exactly um, work in exactly the way that, uh, that I've been talking about. So uh, that's another um, method that Gerald Clark mentions in terms of the Anunnaki's ability to uh, entrain and induce certain states of um, consciousness in, in the human beings. Now, alongside this, there's another part which we haven't really talked about, um, which is that all of this speaks about the brain as being a somewhat electrical computer that doesn't have much more complexity to it, and really treating it only on the sort of electrical frequency um, sphere, as it were. But, well, as we've spoken about in the podcast a lot before, and it's uh, probably not new to those who have been following, um, when we talk about the body, we talk about many different levels, including more energetic uh, levels. And one of the systems that we've spoken about most of all, that's probably the most famous, is the chakra system. And so the chakra system is um, quite literally a system of centers of energy, uh, vortices, as it were, of energy at different frequencies. 
and it's this different frequency that lends them to have these different colors um, whether vis visible by some people or representative and uh, sort of meant to help us visualize um, nevertheless these colors uh, relate to the different frequencies and indeed their placement um, horizontal um, vertically along the body relates to their different frequencies as it gets uh, higher and higher now this doesn't mean to say necessarily that there is um, a hierarchical importance of these different chakras um, but that as with everything relating to math with musical notes uh, frequencies in general colors uh, each uh, frequency is of a different value and those values are sort of um, different mathematical numbers so the higher the frequency is the higher up the uh, vertical part of the body and um, the different color based on the higher frequency it will be now these chakra system uh, these energy centers really relate very much to um, what we're talking about where this ability to induce a state of consciousness from afar using uh, frequencies and different ways of generating uh, frequencies and this idea is really the, the, the heart of what Gerald Clark is talking about um, and it's, it's really the point for this episode in general which is what we are seeing here what we can uh, view from uh, Gerald Clark's theory is that the Anunnaki in designing the human beings were designing them um, among other things, in order to be easily uh, controlled, and a form of control could be say uh, could be said as uh, manipulated, to be um, more obedient, and to be able to receive commands more easily, and uh, when seeing sort of, you know, the gods in the sky as they'd been used to or been trained to, uh, to evoke a certain amount of uh, fear, respect, and awe. Um, all of these would be absolutely necessary in order to control the population in that mass uh, level. And so that's really um, the, 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 the idea that I wanted to talk about in this episode, because as I was approaching it, as those of you who know, uh, indeed, I missed the last uh, few episodes. I was abroad and... Uh, yeah, there was just a lot going on. The time difference made it very difficult. It was actually starting at one o'clock and I simply couldn't make it and I uh, was was inundated with other things. So I was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit uh, upset that I missed those episodes and it really also came down to me not having uh, the book, Gerald Clark's book with me. So uh, that also made it a lot harder. So uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back now and I'm very happy to be doing this episode. I have to admit uh, for those of you who are listening to this, uh, I, this episode is actually not going live. I'm not sure why, <laughs> because I thought it was going live, but uh, apparently there seems to have been uh, some technical difficulties. But nonetheless, uh, this will go out as a recording. If you're listening to this, then you already know that. But as I was uh, sitting down to prepare the episode for today, I was going over Gerald Clark's book, and uh, I, I always am somewhat surprised there's something synchronistic about opening up a book to uh, sort of that I've already read to view the different parts and see, you know, what it is that I'm uh, uh, going to talk about. And it struck me uh, immediately um, that it was 
really related to the subjects that I've been dealing with in my personal life over the past uh, few months, and this includes uh, the time that I was uh, in Israel uh, on on uh, on holiday, <laughs> and the the issues, the things that I've been dealing with, uh, really for the past, you know, well, definitely uh, a few years, but let's say more intensely over the past six months, was has to do with my uh, emotional state, and. Um, there's a lot of history behind that, and I think all of us can relate to a certain degree to dealing with our emotions um, in one way or another. And I think if those of you out there who uh, don't feel that they have any emotions to deal with, uh, that could be a problem. <laughs> no, I have no idea. But generally speaking, I think a lot of people, um, even if it's on a very, um, you know, just self-control level, um, would like to be able to be more in control of their feelings and to feel um, less uh, sort of uh, overcome by them at times. And I won't be talking about other people because uh, there's no need. I will be talking about myself and my personal experience. And so it's it's something that's been really um, quite heavily featured. In fact, I've spoken about it in the podcast a, a few times before and um, spoken about it and indeed uh, done an episode specifically about emotional intelligence. Um, and nonetheless, it's still something that I've been uh, yeah, dealing with and talking about with more people and, and really, I think, um, trying to grasp at it a bit more and trying to reach a slightly deeper understanding of this whole subject. And that's where reading the book and uh, hearing, uh, reading Gerald Clark's uh, theories really struck me because it felt um, very much related to that situation. And I'm assuming some of you will be able to uh, guess where I'm going with this, but I'd like to uh, extrapolate and uh, expand on it a little bit nonetheless. <laughs> um, when I was thinking about this and in general um, thinking about emotions, for the longest time when I was younger, I would always say, you know, the, the idea, as they say in, in, in sort of Zen and Taoism and where I was getting my inspiration from, it's not to control your emotions because you can't control your emotions. And in essence, I do still believe that when I have an emotion, it is out of my um, conscious control. It is affecting my uh, consciousness, but it is still not under its control and that's the way I sort of viewed it for the longest time that this was some kind of um, part of me that I had to in some way sort of you know release like a vapor and to sort of let it out um, before it became an emotion and to sort of be able to uh, deal with all of this residual you know uh, things that build up over time and be able to let it leave uh, in the most uh, holistic way and peaceful way. And recently, as I've been <laughs> dealing with stronger emotions, I feel that's not quite the way I um, see it anymore. And the way I see it now is much more related to um, actually gaining more control over those feelings. And I'll say what I mean by that. Um, when I was reading the what Gerald Clark says, it struck me that that is um, 
exactly how I feel about some of the emotions. And so we have various emotions and obviously uh, some things can happen to us that cause us to suffer and could be very sad and, you know, all of these uh, things are definitely a part of life. But nonetheless, um, there was a very interesting Zen story that I read, a short story the other day, where a monk was trying to meditate in order to achieve enlightenment. And so he went out onto a lake in a boat and he sat in his boat and closed his eyes and breathed and he was meditating. And suddenly uh, another boat uh, uh, bumped into him and knocked into his boat and uh, he was sort of, you know, caught by surprise. But he thought, okay, well, that's uh, something that happens. But uh, he waited and no one apologized and no one said anything, and he was rather upset, and he thought, well, that's that's quite rude, I mean, knocking into someone and not even apologizing, not even stopping to, to, you know, to see if it's okay. And he was getting angry and angry, and he had his eyes closed, and eventually he opened his eyes to t- say something, and he saw that the boat was empty. And he realized that all of his emotions and all of his anger was actually coming just from him, and there wasn't anyone outside. And I, I really related to that story because I think that most of my uh, emotions, or at least a lot of them, definitely come from within, but I experience them or I I, I, uh, interpret them as coming from without. And I say, this person is making me angry, or this person is, you know, at fault, or whatever it is, it's directed at someone or even at something. But whenever I'm directing it outwards, um, I'm often not seeing the trigger that actually lies within me. And so this, for me, felt like it was uh, somewhat of a, of, a, of a bridging point between the Anunnaki's technology because at times I do feel that that trigger inside of me was triggered by uh, something outside and that something outside isn't necessarily an event some kind and so I sometimes feel like for example I can wake up just feeling rather upset and it might be because of a dream that I had or it might be because of the night that I had but it can often be just this sort of feeling this atmosphere that seems to be and often I I experience this uh, with other people as well as being something very general in this sort of atmosphere of whether it's anxiety or whether it's fear or whether it's happiness I mean it can be positive as well but there are these sometimes these I'm calling it atmosphere for lack of a better word but this feeling that's all-encompassing that's coming from the outside that's almost unrelated to what's uh, inside of me as it were and uh, whenever this happens I really feel that there is something outside um, which is penetrating into my body and indeed when I read this uh, well when I read it for the first time it was really earth shattering and when I read it again uh, yesterday it was uh, a great reminder of seeing this as being part of the human body and the human experience our being is that we are susceptible to these outside forces in one way or another and this doesn't necessarily have to attain to, you know, uh, malicious, nefarious intents. Um, but any even an, an empty boat on a lake can be a trigger for us to become upset. And that is part of our emotional being and emotional state. But for me, at least personally, it feels like um, 
this whole perception of things coming from the outside and being at fault over there is the wrong way for me to look at it. And so what I'm trying to see now is that it's a very frightening thought to consider that these um, alien forces have secret, undetectable technology that can blast brainwaves and, and electromagnetic waves of a certain frequency and can cause me to feel sad or anxious or fearful. Um, and yet, I very much experienced that. Um, not often, but I'm saying that I've had experiences which very much felt like that. And so where does that leave us? Where does that leave? Uh, what can we do with it? And so uh, my explanation, or at least my uh, idea and what I wanted to uh, leave you with, is that we have the ability at the same time to be able to um, not react to these um, frequencies when they come. And that means that when we talk about these things, obviously it's more easily said than done, but the first uh, step that can be taken is really um, bringing your awareness and your consciousness to it, saying, okay, this feels like something that came from an empty boat. This feels like something that's not really what I'm seeing or what I'm experiencing, and now I have the opportunity to grasp at it and to evaluate it from a more rational, less emotional point of view. And uh, that, uh, that for me is at least part of the journey and what I'm trying to do. So, okay. <clears throat> Sorry. I think... Sorry. I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Slightly shorter episode this week, but my voice is also giving away, and we'll uh, we'll carry on next week and see how it goes. But for now, uh, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, um, I'm actually going to be opening a Patreon page. Um, I'm nearly ready. I think it's uh, actually available, so if you want, you can look up uh, DZP, the podcast, and you'll be able to uh, find my Patreon page. Um, and let me know, because I'm very much... Uh, just testing it out and seeing what people are interested in, if at all. So if you'd like to support the show more directly, uh, and if you'd like to keep hearing more of these episodes, because it would uh, make it uh, yeah, much more um, easy for me to make time for it once it actually can become more uh, financially uh, viable. So if you enjoy the show and you want to show your support, uh, then go check it out. I would very much appreciate it. And regardless if you're listening and if you enjoy it, thank you very much. Uh, I hope it's been educational. I'm sorry for my disappearing over the last uh, yeah, few episodes, but I'm back now. And hopefully with fewer technical difficulties and more of a throat. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but until then, it's been wonderful uh, talking to you again. And uh, I've been Olev, as always, and I'll see you again uh, next week. Okay, bye.